this morning as Community of Grace is gathered together to, uh, to worship. And uh, um, before we get started, are there any uh, prayer needs, prayer concerns, things we can be sharing together? Yeah, 35, Isaiah 35. And as you're turning to that, let me just announce that next Sunday, uh, for the first time in a long time, we'll be observing the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And we'll be doing that in a contactless way. We have uh, 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 disposable communion uh, cups and, and wafers that we will uh, just have available that you pick up when you come in the worship center next week, and we will observe the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Um, and I know this week you'll want to spend time in preparation for that. The Scripture says a man should examine himself before he takes of the bread and drinks of the cup, uh, that we do it not in an unworthy manner, so we need to... Uh, spend this week making preparation for that observance and uh, because of the, the the shutdown it's been a long time since we've observed that ordinance so I'm looking forward to that next week um, Isaiah chapter 35 Isaiah chapter 35 is our call to worship this morning the prophet says the wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For the water shall burst forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of jackals, where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there and a road, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go upon it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return, and come to Zion with singing. With everlasting joy on their heads, they shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. All right, as we continue to worship, take your uh, hymnals and uh, turn to 277. And God, we thank you for your goodness and your grace toward us. need our dependence upon your Holy Spirit to help us understand your truth and help us to uh, grasp the reality of the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to submit our hearts to him as our King and to obey him and worship him as our Lord and Savior. And so Lord, we pray your Spirit this morning would help us to understand the truth of your word, to believe it and to apply it to our lives and then to walk in, our tru in your truth and be transformed by your grace. So, Lord, produce in us that which is acceptable and pleasing in your sight. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, as we continue to worship, take your Bibles and turn them to Acts. Acts, the second chapter, Acts chapter 2. And as we've been studying through the book of Acts in chapter 2, and specifically, we've seen the three miracles of Pentecost. The miracle of communication where people from every uh, nation under heaven were able to hear the wonderful works of God proclaimed in their native language. Even those who were speaking had never learned that language fluently. They were able to speak the wonderful words of God uh, so that every people from every nation could hear 
the gospel in their own language. And then second, there's the miracle of preaching, and that's what we will uh, uh, consider today as we begin or continue to look at Peter's sermon. Last week we saw the introduction of Peter's sermon. Today we'll look at uh, the first point of Peter's sermon in, uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. And then the third miracle of Pentecost was the miracle of the church that we uh, will consider in verses 40 through 47 of Acts chapter 2. So three miracles of Pentecost, a miracle of communication, a miracle of preaching, and the miracle of the church. And today we will examine that miracle of preaching as we consider Peter's sermon. Now we saw last week that God had drawn a crowd. Uh, they had heard the sound of the rushing wind. They had seen the tongue of fire come and divide and rest on each of them. And then they heard the noise of the gospel, the wonderful works of God being spoken in different languages, every language under heaven. Uh, people were able to hear the gospel. And they came together, and uh, there was some who wanted to know more. What can this mean? There were some who were mocking. And so Peter began his sermon by addressing the mockers and explaining what had happened. That God had fulfilled the prophecy of Joel by pouring out His Holy Spirit on all believers, male and female, uh, young and old, slave and free, all had received the gift of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, empowering them to know the truth and to proclaim the truth in power. And then Peter then begins to, to speak and to call people to repentance and believe. And so we'll look at this sermon, I'll read it as in its entirety, the very first Christian sermon, the introduction we looked at last week, the uh, uh, explanation of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and then uh, the main body of the sermon begins in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, and we'll read through verse 36. And this is the first Christian sermon. Acts chapter 2, verse 22 through 36. Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us today. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him, that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God raised up, of which we are all witnesses, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heavens, but he said to himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Verse 36, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know, assuredly, that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for the miracle of preaching. And Lord, we thank you that it pleased you through the foolishness of the message that was preached. The message of Jesus Christ. To be the means through which you call your people, you call your elect to yourself. The means through which you grant new life, everlasting life. Lord, we thank you for the preaching and the proclamation of the gospel. 
And Lord, we pray today that the proclamation of the Gospel would be faithful, that it would be clear, that it would be true, and Lord, that it would be fruitful and effective. Lord, I pray that You help us as a church to be faithful in the speaking of the Gospel. And Lord, that Your Gospel would do its work, that we would grow in purity, we would grow in holiness, we would grow in faithfulness and faith. And Lord, that You would create in us a testimony that is pure and holy and effective and attractive to the lost people who live around us, who live in our community. And Lord, that You would find us faithful in the proclamation of the Gospel. And Lord, that You would be pleased to make it fruitful and that You would add to our number those that are being saved. And Lord, we ask Your grace and Your kindness toward us in Christ Jesus as we seek to know You better so that we might love You more purely and follow You more closely. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so the second miracle of Pentecost was the miracle of preaching where where Peter and the apostles continue the ministry of the Lord Jesus. The church, an, an essential mission of the church is the preaching of the gospel. You know, we've seen in these days of the pandemic and the shutdown that church is essential. It's essential for God's people to gather together, and preaching is an essential function of the church. A church might do many things, but it is not a church unless it is involved in the proclamation, the preaching, the speaking of the gospel. In order to be a church, and we'll look at this at the end of chapter 2, there must be the preaching of the gospel and the administration of the ordinances, the ordinances of the baptism and the Lord's Supper. Those things are essential to the ministry of the church. Now, there might be a lot of other ministries, but without the preaching of the gospel and the right administration of the ordinances, it is not a church. And so preaching is absolutely an essential mission of the church. And we see that the very first thing that happened, the very first activity of the church, was the preaching of this gospel sermon. And the church was there to continue the ministry of Jesus. You remember when we introduced the book of Acts, we talked about... about Luke wanting to continue, he said, in my former account, I told you all the things that Jesus began to do and teach, and now in the book of Acts, he shows what Jesus continues to do and preach through the ministry of the apostles empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was a preacher. You know, after his baptism... He was driven into the wilderness for 40 days where he did battle with the enemy, where he did battle with Satan, and and upon uh, coming from the wilderness victorious, having defeated Satan, he begins a ministry of preaching. We read in the Gospels that he went and he preached the message of the kingdom of God. Repent and believe the Gospel, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he, on the first Sabbath after his his uh, temptation, he went to the synagogue at Capernaum, and then he went to Peter's mother-in-law's house where he engaged in a ministry of healing. We're told that when the sun set on that Sabbath day, everybody in town, if they had anybody that was sick, they brought them to Jesus, and Jesus healed them all. And then that night, Jesus slept out and uh, went and spent time with his father. And the next morning, the disciples came and found Jesus and said, Everybody in town is looking for you. Everybody's looking for you. They want you to come back to Capernaum and continue your ministry of healing. But Jesus said to them, No, I must go to all the other towns and preach, for it is this reason for which I was sent. Jesus was sent to preach to proclaim the message of the kingdom of God. And then after His resurrection, He told His disciples, before He ascended into heaven, you need to go preach the gospel to every nation. Preach the gospel to every creature. And so preaching is an essential ministry of the church, and it is the second ministry, miracle of Pentecost, and the first thing that the church, uh, the exploding church does. And so we read this sermon, the first Christian sermon, Uh, introduced by explaining, answering the mockers and explaining the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then Peter gets into the body of the sermon. And the thesis, the proposition, the point, the main point of the sermon, the first Christian sermon is in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. And so Peter, Peter puts his proposition, his thesis statement, his main idea at the end of his sermon. And it's this. Acts chapter 2, verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, 
both Lord and Christ. That's the main point of the sermon. God made Jesus both Lord and Christ. Jesus is Lord. And this would be significant. Remember, all the people who are listening to this are devout Jews who have come to Jerusalem, who live in Jerusalem, or have come to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Pentecost, and they would recognize this title, Lord, as being the, 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 the divine name of God. As these devout Jews would be reading the Old Testament, if they would come across the, 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 the covenant name of God, the name Jehovah or Yahweh, instead of saying that name, because they would not want to, to, to somehow use God's name in vain, and they were afraid in, in just reading His name that they might be falling short of God's holy standard and the proper reverence for that word. They would not even say the name. They would substitute the word Lord. And so, Peter is saying that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is divine. Jesus is worthy of that divine name. And as Lord, He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our obedience. He is worthy of our reverence. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. And He's worthy of our worship and our obedience and our reverence. God has made Jesus to be Lord. God has given Him the name that is above every name. And every knee should bow and every tongue confess, should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father because God has made Jesus Lord. Jesus is divine and has been given the name that is above every name. Not only has God made Jesus Lord, but He has made Him Christ. And the, the word Christ is a title. God's anointed. He is the King. He is the King of kings. And as King, He is worthy of our reverence and our obedience and our service. He is the Christ. He is God's anointed. He is the one that God has anointed and decreed to be the Savior of the world. God has decreed that there is no other name under heaven by which we might be saved. Jesus is Christ. He is God's anointed Savior. He is the Savior of the world. God has made Him both Lord and Christ. And so that's the main point of the first Christian sermon. Uh, and really should be the main point of every Christian sermon, <laughs> that God has made Jesus, whom was crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now how does Peter get there? Well, Peter, Peter gives five steps. Five steps to the making of Jesus, both Lord and Christ. And we will look at those five steps in probably five different weeks. Uh, verse 22, the first step of God making Jesus both Lord and Christ is, is uh, 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 verse 22, God attested to Jesus by miracles, wonders, and signs that God did through Him. So the first step of Jesus being Lord and Christ was His sinless life attested by God through miracles, wonders, and signs. The second step in Jesus being made Lord in Christ was His crucifixion. By the determined, verse 23, the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, you have crucified Him and put to death. The second step was the death of Jesus. We have the sinless life of Jesus, and then we have the death of Jesus. The third step in Him becoming Lord in Christ is the resurrection, verse 24, whom God raised up. And that's the bulk of the sermon, verses 24 through 32, talks about the resurrection of Jesus. God delivered Him to be crucified, and then God raised Him up. The fourth step in Jesus being made Lord in Christ is the exaltation, verse 33, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, Jesus ascends into heaven, takes his place at the right hand of the Father, and takes the seat of power and authority and honor and glory at the right hand of God. Uh, the fourth step was his exaltation. So we have his life and ministry, his atoning death, his glorious resurrection and his ascension and exaltation. And then number five, Jesus received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, which he poured out. 
And so those are the five steps that lead to the proposition, to the conclusion that God has made Jesus, whom they crucified, both Lord and Christ. His sinless life, His atoning death, His glorious resurrection, His exaltation and coronation, and the giving and sending of the Holy Spirit were the five steps that God used to make to establish Jesus as Lord and Christ. And so today, let's look at step number one, verse 22. Step number one, verse 22. Peter begins the body of his sermon after the introduction where he has addressed the mocking and explained what had happened, the fulfillment of prophecy and the coming of the Holy Spirit. He begins the body of his sermon with these words. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. And so he says that God attested, God demonstrated, God proclaimed that Jesus was Lord in Christ through doing miraculous signs and wonders through him in their presence. And so the first First part of the first step was God's attestation, God's proclamation, God's confirmation of His appointing Jesus, Lord and Christ. And then the second step is they are without, or the second part of this step is they are without excuse. All of this happened in your midst, and you know it. <laughs> so let's look at those those two truths. First, God attested. Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. So Jesus, who is fully God, became fully man. He was fully human. There was nothing about Jesus that looked that extraordinary. He, he was an ordinary man. He looked like an ordinary man. And he, uh, there was nothing that would make him stand out. There was nothing that would, be, uh, that would attract people to him. There was nothing about him that people would look and see that he was divine. He looked like an ordinary man. He was an ordinary man. He got hungry. He got tired. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He cried at the tomb of a loved one. He, he, was, he was human in every way. Even though he was fully God, he was fully man. And he became a servant, was found in the form of a servant. He was a fully human, fully man. And he was a man, but he was attested to them by miracles, wonders, and signs. And so three words are used there to describe the works of Jesus. The first word is miracles, and that comes from the word through which we get the English word dynamite. Jesus did acts of great power, supernatural power, supernatural strength. Jesus overrode and overruled the laws of nature, doing powerful, miraculous works, works that cannot be described by natural forces. They were works that required the supernatural force of God. And so they were works of power, works of strength, works of might. They were miracles. The second word that Peter uses is wonders. So they were mighty supernatural power, and the wonders describes the effect that the works had on those who were observing, those who were watching. They were wonderful works, and they caused the people who saw them to wonder, <laughs> to be amazed, to marvel, to be surprised by those works, kind of like uh, when we saw the coming of the Holy Spirit. You remember the, 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 the reaction of amazement and wondering, what can this be? And so they were demonstrations of great power that left the people who saw them amazed and astonished. They wondered at the works, at the power that was demonstrated by Jesus. And so there were acts of mighty power that left people astonished and amazed. But that was not the extent because the third word that Peter uses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is the word signs. 
They were acts of great power that left people amazed that pointed to a greater reality, a reality beyond the act itself. The act itself was not the end, but the act pointed to a reality about Jesus, a truth about Jesus. The works were just signs, fingers that pointed to the glory of God in Christ Jesus. And so Peter says that God has made Jesus Lord in Christ. That Before the foundation of the, of the universe, before the foundation of the world, Jesus was the, the Word of God who was with God and was God. And everything that is was made by Him and through Him and for Him. He was fully God. And then God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father through uh, full of grace and truth. And so all of these works were to point to the reality of who Jesus was and what Jesus had come to do. God attested Him as Lord and Christ by doing mighty, powerful works through Him in order to reveal His glory. And if we look at the miracles of Jesus, uh, you know, and there were so many that John said, John said if, all the works that Jesus did were written down. I suppose there wouldn't be room in all of the world for the books that would have to be written. He did so many. He filled Israel with miraculous wonders and signs in order to demonstrate His glory. And the Gospel writers choose some under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a representative sample of the miraculous works of Jesus. And John himself chose eight of them he says, you know, if all the things that Jesus did were to be written down, I suppose there wouldn't be room in all the world for the books that would have to be written. But these things, these eight signs, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you might have life in His name. And so the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Gospel writers selected of all these multitude of works that Jesus did, and they wrote them for us so that we might know and believe that He is the Christ, that He is the Son of God, that God has declared Jesus to be both Lord and Christ, and that there is no other name under heaven and earth by which we must be saved. These things are written that we might know and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that we might have life in His name, by believing we might have life in His name. And so if we look at those works, you see we, we see miracles of healing. There's probably the first ones that get our attention. Jesus was a healer, and that's what He did in Capernaum. He healed anybody in the town that had somebody that was sick, brought them to Jesus, and He healed them all. And, and throughout His ministry in Galilee, they would bring their sick to Him. And He would heal them all. Jesus was a healer. But it wasn't just the healing, the, the relief of sickness and disease. The fact that Jesus healed the body pointed to His glory. To the fact that He was the Creator and that He is sovereign over the human body. And He can not only heal the body, but He can also heal the soul. And that by His stripes, we can be healed. Jesus demonstrated His authority as Creator over the human body. And He can heal our diseases and our afflictions, both body and soul. And we also see in the Scriptures, we see the fact that He cast out demons. He cast out demons to show His authority over the spiritual forces, over the spiritual forces of evil. He created even Satan and those fallen angels, and He has authority over them. We see miracles over nature where He spoke to the wind and the waves and commanded them and they obeyed. We see Him cursing a fig tree and that fig tree withering. We see Him uh, creating and bringing forth food, enough food to feed a multitude from five loaves and, and two fish. We see His creative power. Jesus is the Creator and Master of the universe. All that is was created 
by him and through him and for him, and he has all power, so he can he is the the incarnate word of God. He wrote the laws of nature, and therefore at will he can overrule and overwrite those laws of nature. He did miracles to show that he is the creator and sustainer and master of the universe. And so all of those miraculous works that left people amazed pointed to the glory of God in Christ Jesus, attested Jesus to them as both Lord and Christ. And so in those miraculous signs and wonders, we see the glory of God in Christ Jesus. We behold His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And we see also that Jesus is able to raise the dead demonstrating that He is the resurrection and the life and that He is authority, has authority, the keys of life and death and whoever believes in Him will never really die. He is the resurrection and the life. And so all of these wonderful works, all these demonstrations of great power were mere fingers to point to His glory. And so the first thing that we see in His sinless life is that Jesus of Nazareth was a man fully human, yet God attested that He was Lord, He was divine, and He was Christ. He is King. He is the Savior. Through those miraculous wonders, wonderful works that point to His glory. And so He was a man attested by God with miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through Him in your midst. And so God attested to Jesus that He was Lord and Christ. And the second thing we see about this particular point is that these listeners are without excuse. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God, to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through Him in your midst as you yourselves also know. So you see how Peter emphasizes. You see that. You see that in the text. Attested by God to you that God did through Him in your midst as you yourselves also know. So you see how Jesus, uh, Peter is emphasizing to his hearers you are without excuse. Jesus did these things in your midst and you are fully aware of it. You saw them. You cannot deny the fact that Jesus did miraculous works. You can't deny the fact that you were amazed and astonished and wondered by which power these things came. You can't deny that Jesus was doing things that only God can do. That Jesus was not only teaching with authority, but He was doing these works that demonstrated His authority. His authority over the human body. His authority over nature. His authority over demons. His authority over even life and death. You know that. You are without excuse. God did it attested Him to you, doing these miracles in your midst, as you yourself know. And so Jesus did works that demonstrated the fact that He is Lord and Christ. He came as Savior. And He did works that demonstrated the fact that He is a Savior. He healed the body to show that He could heal the soul. He overruled nature to show that He is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He rose the dead to show that He is the resurrection and the life. And these works were sufficient for them to see that God has made Jesus Lord in Christ. Even Nicodemus, who Jesus calls the teacher of Israel. Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel came to Jesus and said, no one can do the works that you do unless God was with him in John chapter 3. And even John the Baptist, when John the Baptist was in prison and when things weren't working out the way that he thought they were going to work out, as he was the 
forerunner. He was the one that had come to make straight the past. He was the one who had baptized Jesus. And now he's in prison and things aren't working out the way that he thought that they should. He sends messengers to Jesus and say, Are you the one? Are you the Christ? Are you the Savior? Are you the King? And Jesus said to those messengers, You go and tell John the things that you hear and see. The blind see. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to him. Uh, that passage we read in Isaiah chapter 35, Jesus quotes in Matthew 11 to show John that those signs that he was doing were sufficient, that everyone there should see and know that God has made Jesus Lord and Christ. He is God. He is worthy of our worship. He is Christ. He is King. He is Savior of the world. And He is worthy of our obedience and our service. They were without excuse. They should have seen the signs. And they should have followed the signs to the logical conclusion to recognize that Jesus is Lord and Christ. Jesus is God and King. But the problem is, they saw the miracles. They couldn't question them. They were amazed. They were astonished. They wondered what kind of man this is that even the wind and the waves obey Him. They saw the signs, but they didn't follow the sign. They didn't see to which the sign pointed. They did not follow the sign to see the glory of God that can really bring satisfaction. And this really becomes clear in John chapter 6, one of, uh, one, of, one of the great signs that Jesus did. In fact, one of the, the only sign other than His own resurrection that is recorded in all four Gospels. In John chapter 6, we read of the feeding of... Uh, there were 5,000 men. They brought their wives and their children and they gathered together uh, to Jesus on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus took a little boy's lunch, five loaves, two fish, and fed that 5,000 men, their wives and their children. And at the end of the day, they were all filled. They were all stuffed. It was probably the, the, the first real satisfying meal any of those people had ever had. And at the end of the day, they said, well, this must be the prophet that was to come into the world. And it even says that they wanted to make him king by force. And so Jesus recognized the danger of the situation, so He made the disciples get on a boat and get out of there. And Jesus slipped away from the multitude that wanted to make Him king by force and went and spent the evening with His Father uh, until His disciples needed Him. And then He walked on the water to rescue His disciples and deliver them to the other side. And when He got over to the other side, the multitude came chasing after Him. And so the next morning, after He fed the 5,000, their wives and their kids, they all got stuffed, they, they, they had their lunch, but at the, end, but the next day they were hungry, they were ready for breakfast, and so they went to find Jesus. And when they found Him, Jesus actually rebuked them. In John chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus says to them, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek Me not because you saw the signs but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. And so you, all you saw was the food. You didn't see what the sign was designed to point to. You just saw the food and you did not see that Jesus was the bread of life that came down from heaven. And he who eats from Him will find complete satisfaction and everlasting life, life eternal and life abundant and free. You didn't come to me because you see that I am the bread of life and you see the glory of God and you see that God has made me Lord and Christ and I am the Savior of the world. That's not why you came. You came because last night I gave you supper and this morning you want breakfast. All you care about is food. All you care about is your flesh. All you care about is having your needs in this temporary world met. You don't care about the state of your soul. Jesus rebukes them. It's not because you saw the signs, but because you ate 
of your loaves and were filled. And Jesus tells them, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set His seal on Him. See, Jesus says right there in John chapter 6, the same thing that Peter says, God attested Him to you. God has set His seal on Him. God is doing these mighty works so that you might see the sign. The glory of God. The Lordship of Christ. The fact that He is the King. He is proving that He is the Savior of the world by doing these saving acts. Proving He can heal the soul by healing the body. Proving that He is the Master and Creator and Sustainer of the universe and that He will create a new heaven and a new earth that's free from power of sin. Raising the dead, proving that He is the resurrection and the life and whoever believes in Him will never really die. The miracles weren't ends in themselves. And, and the end wasn't just to leave people amazed and astonished and impressed. The purpose of the miracles was to point to the glory of God in Christ Jesus, to point to the only thing that can really satisfy. And so, Peter stands in the first Christian sermon. And he says, listen to me. God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. He is the only Savior. God has appointed that no man will come to Him but through Jesus. He is the King. And God has made Him Lord and He is worthy of your worship and your submission and your reverence and your obedience and your love and your adoration and your praise. And He did this by attesting, by setting His seal upon Him and demonstrating it in works that He did in your midst. Therefore, you are without excuse. The problem is not a lack of evidence. The problem is the hardness of your heart. The problem is not a lack of light, but that you love darkness. You saw the signs, but you didn't follow the sign to the logical conclusion. You were satisfied just to get your healing, just to have your lunch, just to be made happy and content for a time. And you did not chase after the only thing that can, find, that can provide lasting and eternal satisfaction. And you are without excuse. And so Peter says, Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst as you yourselves also know. And what did you do? You have taken by lawless hands and put him to death. We'll talk more about this next week. But they saw the signs. They didn't read the signs. They didn't fall into the glory. and they, they saw the light, but they loved their darkness. And so what did they do? They took Jesus and they handed Him over. And He was crucified. He was put to death. Because of the hardness of your heart. Because you loved your darkness and you hated the light. You hated truth. And you're without excuse. And even the high priest said, if we don't do something because of these miraculous signs that He is doing, everyone will come and believe in Him, Caiaphas said. And so they handed Him over to be crucified. And that's who Peter's talking to. And that's just an amazing part about this text. In verse 36, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, you are without excuse. You saw all of these signs and yet you hated the truth, you hated the life, you crucified your king. But notice what else. 
even for them, there is hope. Even those who saw the miracles themselves and, and, and failed to read the signs and said, you know what, if we don't do something about this guy, everybody's going to believe in him, we've got to get rid of him. You handed him over and he was crucified. But even for you, there is hope. Repent and believe. Repent and identify with Christ. Be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Even you who saw all of these signs and yet crucified Him, even you, if you repent and believe, you will be born again and receive the Holy Spirit and receive forgiveness for your sins. For this promises to you and your children and to all who are far off as many who will call upon the name of Jesus. And all that our Lord will call. Even for you, there's hope. Repent and believe. Oh, this is such a powerful passage for us. God has attested to the man Jesus. God has set His seal on Him and shown that He is Lord in Christ. And all who believe will be born again to new life. God created us in His own image so we could know Him, but we all sinned and cut ourselves off from God. We all loved our darkness. We all rebelled, but God so loved the world that He gave His Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Repent and believe. Cry out to Jesus. God has made Him Lord in Christ. God has made Him Savior, the only Savior. Confess your helplessness and your hopelessness and cry out to Jesus. Whoever calls upon Him will be saved. All that our Lord will call. Respond to the call of the Lord and cry out for mercy and grace. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There's no excuse. There's no excuse for them. There's no excuse for us. Because these gospel writers, the apostles under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote these things. If all the things Jesus did were written down, there wouldn't be room in all the world for the, things that, the books that would have to be written. But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing you might have life in His name, there is no excuse. And not only do you have these things that are written, but you have 2,000 years of the witness of the church, the preaching of the church, 2,000 years of changed lives that testify to the fact that Jesus is Lord in Christ. There's no excuse. But if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And then, you know, the second truth that we see here is we, we can't stop at the miracles and wonders. We've got to chase after the reality that the miracles and wonders point to. You know, if we were honest, a lot of us would, be, would say we'd be content just to be prosperous, have a good education, a good job, a good income, be able to have... Plenty of food, nice place to live, comfortable life, happiness. Be secure here. When we get sick, we get healed. Like those people in John chapter 6, chasing after things that don't really satisfy. That can't provide lasting contentment. So often we would be content with God just meeting our needs making us comfortable, making us happy, making us healthy, making us prosperous. We could be content with having our temporary needs satisfied instead of seeing that all of those acts of kindness are revelation of God's infinite glory and all of the things that God does for us in His providence and in creation are just signs to point to the greater glory all the kindness that God shows to us through His healing, through His providence, are to point us to Jesus. The One 
who can really satisfy and the One who can give us life that is eternal and abundant and free. So often we stop short. We be content to have all of our meals, our daily bread, without coming to the bread of life. We'd be content with having our bodies healed without coming to the One who can heal our soul. We'd be content with food that doesn't satisfy. But this passage tells us, don't just stop with the miracle. Don't just be amazed at what God does, but follow the sign to its logical conclusion, to the ultimate glory, to the glory of the One who can provide real satisfaction and real life and real abundance and real majesty, the One who can satisfy. Oh, if you gain the whole world and lose your soul. Don't be content with just the provision of God. Chase after His ultimate glory. And recognize that all of the kindness that God has shown to us is attestation that Jesus is Lord in Christ. That He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our adoration, our obedience, and our submission. And He is the King of kings. And the only name given by which we must be saved. We're without excuse. But all who call upon the name of the Lord, all that He calls to Himself, will be saved. Don't stop short of pursuing the ultimate glory that God has made known to us in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank You for Your grace toward us in Christ. We thank You for His sinless life. We thank You for His atoning death. We thank You for His glorious resurrection. We thank You for His exaltation. And we thank You for His presence with us in the person of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit today to call. To call us to Yourself. To grant us new life. And to help us see past the temporary and embrace the eternal. Lord, help us today as we seek to know You better and to worship Jesus, our Lord, and to submit and in the power of the Holy Spirit to do that which is pleasing in His sight. Lord, we pray that You help us to seek Christ alone and in Him to find that which truly satisfies Life, eternal and abundant. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.